Welcome, welcome, welcome on this blessed day as we keep the feast of Shaviyof. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. We just want to let you know we will be coming back this evening at 7 p.m., so be sure to return at 7 p.m. as we continue to celebrate the feast of Shaviyof. So I'm going to turn it over to the pastor so, Pastor, uh, what are we going to be studying today as you deal with uh, Shaviyov? Well, what we're going to do uh, in Shaviyov, um, we're going to basically have three parts, trusting that I'll do two parts today. And this evening, I'll do the latter part. Uh, what we want to look at is what I call, number one, uh, is the preparation, the Pentecostal preparation. And time permits, we'll deal with two parts, which is the Pentecostal preparation and also what we call uh, the Pentecostal promise. And then uh, this, uh, this evening at 7 o'clock, we'll deal with the, what we call the Pentecostal parable. So we won't try to cover Chevy Oath uh, in at least three segments uh, here on the day of Pentecost and kind of get a direction about what Pentecost is about. Because when we look in scriptures, uh, Pentecost is not defined so definitively as some of the other feasts that we know exactly what to do. But Pentecost is one of those feasts that we are not given a lot of instructions of what to do. We are given some, but not so I want to kind of go in, into the particular scenario. Okay, with that being said, let us have a word of prayer, and we'll immediately get into our discourse. Eternal Father, as we look to you, realize, oh, Heavenly Father, that most of the camps who are celebrating Pentecost have already celebrated, and we're celebrating it now, and for good reasons. And so we would ask, oh, Father, that as we go into the Word, that it may be able to speak to our hearts and to be able to direct us and let us know that we are on the right track, even though most people do not celebrate at the time that we do. And even the so-called Jews, oh, Heavenly Father, from historical perspective, neither do they celebrate it at this time. So we don't want to just be standing out as a sore thumb just to stand out, but we want to give rational understanding of what we are doing and why we are doing it and who has authorized us to do it this way. Bless him who is the host, O Heavenly Father, and bless me as I give the discourse and bless those who listen that the power of the Holy Spirit may bring us together in such a way that we can understand even in a more depth, uh, in-depth way, O Heavenly Father, that as we celebrate Pentecost is one of the greatest days that you have given in earth history that we can be able to recognize and we have gone through this discourse. May we be better for it. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, for, for, I, uh, for our first text, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in the book of uh, Acts. In the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we want to look at chapter 2 and want to pivot on verse number 1. Acts 2, 1. Now, when we look at uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, what we notice, the Bible says in verse 1 of the second chapter of the book of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of uh, Acts, Acts 2, and we're looking at verse 1. And here it reads, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Okay. Now, we want to talk about the preparation uh, for Pentecost, and we call this the, the Pentecostal preparation. Now, one of the things about the preparation for the Pentecost, we have to know the day in which to celebrate it. Now, one of the things about the New Testament, when it speaks about Shavioth, since it was written in Greek, 
they wrote Pentecost rather than Shaviot, and I think this is one of the things that causes a lot of confusion in it. However, we can still work with that in order to show the true meaning behind Pentecost. So when it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, now here it speaks about when Shavioth had fully come. Now in order to fully come, there had to be a number of days to expire before Shavioth or Pentecost would take place. Now, for many who celebrate Pentecost or Shavioth, uh, the fully come day is completing seven Sabbath and and one day to be able to complete fifty days for Shavioth. So we who celebrate it are looking at two interpretations of how it is to be celebrated. For many who celebrate Pentecost today, their fully come day is completing seven Sabbath after the waving of the first sheave, first fruits, and then count one day, which turns out to be 50 days. However, we choose to calculate Pentecost by counting seven Sabbath and after seven Sabbath, we count 50 more days. And why do we do this? Okay, we do this because of Leviticus. Let's turn to Leviticus, of Leviticus 23. In other words, we're trying to find a justi justifiable position why we celebrate it later than others is because of what the scriptures teach and what these scriptures teach it can be looked at from a, at least two aspects, aspects. So we want to turn to Leviticus chapter 23, and we want to look at verses um, 15 and 16. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16 says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the, the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering seven Shabbats, shall be complete. Verse 16, even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Yehoah. Now, now, the thing that we looked at, we want to look at it kind of methodically to see what's really going on. It said when we read in, in, uh, in these verses, it is possible that both interpretations could be deduced from this passage. So let us ascertain as to why both interpretations can be reasonable, reasonable, reasonable. And if we go with the 50 days calculation, then there are at least uh, uh, some reasons one can give if they go along with it. Now, first, when we go along with the 50 days, uh, well, when we look at verse 15 uh, and we uh, of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, it says, and ye shall count, okay, unto you from the day, from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Okay, now, if we go with that, we are counting exactly seven Sabbaths, okay? So our first count is seven Sabbaths, as verse 15 points out. Once they are completed, then verse uh, 16 it says, even unto the morrow after the Sabbath Sabbath shall you count and number 50 days. So now logically, it could be said that 50 days after uh, uh, the wave sheave was offered during the time of unleavened bread, it could, it could be because when you read it, it says seven Shabbats shall be completed, right? And then he said, after... 
uh, seven Shabbats after the wave chief offering during the time of, uh, uh, of, of the Feast of Matzah or the Feast of uh, Passover, you should count 50 days. So it's logical to reason that if I count seven Shabbats and then after that I number 50 days, it is logically saying in a way that once you got the seven Shabbats, then you come in, you count one more day, and that's 50 days. And as, and then he says, uh, when you do that, that's when you are to keep the day of Pentecost, which would be 50 days. Okay. Moreover, the second reason for the 50 days count is that in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this word Pentecost is a Greek word meaning 50, okay? It means 50. And this text puts emphasis on days. See, now, when you read it in the Old Testament, it first starts off by putting emphasis on the on the weeks, which is seven Shabbats. But now when you read it in the New Testament, and they say Pentecost, when they say uh, the day, uh, 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 when the day of Pentecost had come, they use Pentecost to mean 50 days, not not seven weeks. So that may be some of the reasons why the confusion is coming coming in. And if you remember that in Acts, when uh, Yeshua was uh, with his disciples, now let us turn to the book of Acts. You can probably keep uh, Leviticus if you got a marker, because we'll, we'll probably be visiting that again. All right, let's turn to the book of Acts. Now when we come to the book of Acts, and what do we what, what what do we have? Well, Acts points out uh, here in Acts one, chapter one and verse three, it says, "To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, and seeing of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of Elohim." Now, notice that after Yeshua had come forth out of the grave, okay, they was to count seven Shabbats, and he said that he was with them how many days? Forty days he was with them. So many believe that if he was with there with them for 40 days, instructing them about the kingdom, then they had 10 more days for Pentecost. But see, that's what people are saying, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was with them for 40 days, but there was no indication that he was saying to them in 10 more days, Pentecost was coming. That's something we put in the scriptures. That is not something that the Bible says. The Bible just simply says he was with them for 40 days. And so many individuals take that 40 days to mean that it was 10 more days to follow, but that is not correct. Now, to those of us who read the same passage, we interpret as counting seven Sabbath and then numbering 50 days. First, we count the seven Shabbats, and second, we number the 50 days. Now, the interesting thing about this second reason is that it translates the translators of the King James Version uses the word count in verse 15. Now let's come back to uh, Leviticus chapter chapter 23, and we want to look at something that I feel is significant. Now notice that in verse 15 of Leviticus chapter 23:15, it says, "Ye shall count." Okay. Now I want you to pay note of that. Ye shall count. Now when we go down into verse number 16. It said, even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, ye shall number. Now, notice what it says there. It says, ye shall number 50 days. Now, here's where we get our interpretation, and we'll follow up on this interpretation as well. It says, ye shall, in verse 15, it says, ye shall count. Verse 16 says, ye shall number. Okay. Now, is there a difference between counting and numbering? Is there a difference? Okay, now the Hebrew word uh, for count is sefa, sefa, and the Hebrew word for number is sefa. 
So when we have the word number and count, they are both from derivatives of the Hebrew word sifar, S-A-P-H-A-R, S-A-P-H-A-R. And you could translate sifar either as number or count. So it could easily be read, and ye shall count unto you uh, from the morrow after the Shabbat, or you could say, and ye shall number unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat. And in verse 16, you can do the same thing. You could say, even unto the morrow after the Shabbat shall ye number 50 days, or you can say, even unto tomorrow after the Shabbat, you can count 50 days. So just because it has a change of wording in the English King James, in the original language, it was sefar, and sefar simply means to count or to number. In both views, can we interpret from the scriptures why we choose one over the other? Now, my reason for choosing the latter over the former is because of the following polemics, all right? First, it takes about four months for the wheat to mature. At least, it takes at least about 99 or 100 days or 120 days for the wheat crevice to come forth. Okay, let us turn into the book of John, the Gospel of John. John's Besorah uh, says this. Now we're looking at John chapter 4 and we want to look at verse number 35. Now this is what was went going on when Yeshua was talking to the woman at the well and he was talking to his disciples. Notice what he says here. Yeshua saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, notice what 35 says. This is what we want to zero on in. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, Say ye not, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. But I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Okay, now, let's reason together. If ye, Yeshua is saying, it is after four months, then you have the harvest. Okay, what what harvest comes after four months? Okay, this is what you we have to look at. What harvest comes after four months? Now he's he he literally said four months. So what Yeshua said four months. A four months is uh, at least. A hundred days or more, if you got four months, because when you say you got four months and a month is is approximately uh, 30 days and you multiply 30 by four months, what do you have? About 120. And that would give a crop of wheat time to grow. It would give it time to grow. Okay, now, if that would give the time to grow, then we must say to ourselves, when Passover came, that was in the first month. Okay. In the middle of in the middle of that month, you had Passover and then you had unleavened bread and then you had first fruits and it was seven Sabbath after uh after you had first fruits, after that you got counting seven Sabbath. And then when you counted seven Sabbath after first fruits, then when you read in Leviticus that you should number 50 days, you have two counts. The first count is when you have seven Shabbats. That's the first count. Then he said after that, down the time of the, uh, when the first fruits was offered and you began the counting of the seven Shabbats, then he said after you've counted seven Shabbats, then he said, I want you to number or I want you to count 50 days after that. Because when Yeshua was looking on the field, he was not looking at the barley because the barley came up in the spring. He said four months later, 
you're going to get a harvest. What was that harvest four months later? It was the wheat harvest. The wheat came in the summer. So therefore, if you had 50 days, the wheat would not have matured as yet. So you had to wait at least 50 more days in order for the wheat to fully come up. And he says here in verse 35, he says, say ye not after four months, then cometh the harvest. And what he's literally saying, then cometh the wheat. And he says, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white with harvest. Now, when you look at a field and look white like a harvest, what is that telling you? Barley doesn't look white like a harvest. The only thing or the only grain that looks like it's white in the harvest, I've seen fields when I travel over Michigan. I've seen fields of wheat, and when fully mature, it looks like it's golden white or whitish. And so when Yeshua looked at the fields in which he was explaining to his disciples about the harvest that was come, he was looking at the white with harvest of the ripeness of the wheat that was blowing in the breeze to let them know that the harvest was right. But he was saying also, in addition to that, is that uh, he says, he said, look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. He said they are white already. Why is he saying it's all white already? Because he said after four months, you're going to get the harvest. And he said, when you look at it, even now, that is already, uh, he said it's already white, white with harvest, even a little before the four months. So we know we have to have at least four months. Okay, now, let us turn to Exodus. Let us turn to the book of Exodus. And here in Exodus, we want to look at uh, verse number, uh, uh, chapter 23. And in Exodus chapter 23, we want to look at verse 17. Exodus 23, 17 says this. The Bible says, Exodus 23, uh, 17 says, three times in the year, all the males shall appear before Adonai, uh, Yehoah. In other words, Elohim is telling his people, I want you to come to come before me three times a year, three times. Okay. Three times a year. Now let's also turn to uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16, Deuteronomy 16. And also we want to look at verse 16. Now, we already read in Exodus, it says he wanted his people to come before him three times a year. Okay. Now, here we read in this text, uh, Deuteronomy 16, 16, it's going to tell us what the three times of the year are in which we are to come before him. He said, three times in a year shall all the males appear. And like we've explained this before, uh, when he talked about the male, he's talking about the male and the female, because even when Yeshua even came to Passover, his whole family came, but he's a because he, the males is the head of the family and they will bring their whole family. So we don't need to get caught up that is just for the men. No, that's not because we see even in, when they had Pentecost, Mary, the mother of Yeshua and some of the other women, they were there too. Matter of fact, even in the Pentecostal experience, uh, one of the things that was said in Pentecost is that he was poured out of his spirit upon the handmaidens. So the women are included but they dressed the males because they were the head of the families. That's, that's simply that. So I don't, I don't want to get up into that issue, but what we're trying to establish, there were three times in a year shall all males appear before Yehoah Elohim in the place which he shall choose. He said in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that was in the spring, right? And then he said in the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, that was in the summer, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, which was in the fall. So again, when we have the double calculation of fifty uh, of seven weeks and then 50 days, it gives the time of the week to mature. And moreover, he didn't—I don't think he gave uh, all of the feast days to be kept in the spring and nothing in the summer, and then you have something in the fall. Why would you take the best time of the year, which is summer, when people can get around, they can travel, and they can do a lot of things that they could not do in the wintertime or in other times of the year? This is the best time to travel. It's in the summertime. And so not only do we have the two countings of seven weeks and then 50 days, 
but we also have the four months in which it would give the time of the harvest to grow. And then we, on top of that, Elohim is saying, I want you to appear before me uh, three times a year. What are the three times? Well, you got Passover, uh, unleavened bread, and first fruits. That's in the spring. And then in the summer, after about 99 or 100 days, the, the, the grain is right, and he called that the Feast of Weeks. And then he said at the end of the year is the Feast of uh, End Gathering. In other words, you're going to end gather the last harvest. So he has unleavened bread, and then he has uh, Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, the Chevy Oath, in the summer. And then in the fall of the year, he has the Feast of Trumpet, and then the Feast of, of, of Atonement, and then the Feast of, she uh, of Tabernacles, those in the end of the year. So in all of those, you are appearing three times. But in the middle uh, between the uh, first, the, the Feast of Matzah and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Chukot, you have in between them in the summer, you have the Feast of Pentecost, which is more logical to me. So why would Yah have his people to come before him three times a year and overlook summer and allow that season just to come and go without anything? Most people who celebrate Shaviot do so in the spring, 50 days after the first fruits is still in the springtime. So when you look at June, when you look at June and they have Saviyoth, spring, summertime, when you had, well, according to our calendar, at June the 5th, when, they, uh, when many people may have had Saviyoth, Saviyoth had not gotten to the summer yet because usually, according to our calendar, uh, summer doesn't come until the 21st of June. So if you if if you celebrating uh Shavi Oath around the 5th of June, summertime hadn't hadn't even gotten you yet. You had to at least wait until the 21st of June and then summer is in and once summer is in, you wait a few more days in July even before summer was gone that you had to wheat. You had to wheat harvest, okay? So, that's what we want to look at look at in our preparation. We want to know when do we keep it? And we are saying that according to Leviticus, when you look at Leviticus chapter uh, 23 and we read it, it says, and ye shall number, verse 15, unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Now, once you complete the seven Sabbath." He said, now, even tomorrow after the seventh Shabbat shall you number 50 days. In other words, count 50 days more. That's why we are keeping it later than most other people because they're only counting. Uh, they, they, they may have two countings, but the two countings is one is the seventh Shabbat, and then a the day after that makes it 50, and that's why they keep it earlier, which is still in the spring. And the reason why we keep it later in the summer is because we count seven Shabbats and then it says count 50 days after that and then it lands us in the time in which we are today. So that's a part of the preparation. Okay, now we want to go further. We want to go further. I want you to turn with me in Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9 and we want to look at uh, verses... 31 through 32, okay, Exodus. Now, here the Bible says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 31 and 32, what does it say? Well, here's what it says. It said, and the flax and the barley was not smitten, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was bolted, okay? Verse 32 says, but the wheat, and the rye was not smitten, for they were not grown up. Okay, now we're talking about the Pentecostal preparation now. You're still in that. So what we are looking at is that when the plagues came through Egypt and Elohim was destroying a lot of 
things, one of the things down in Egypt was the crops that the pharaohs had their empire to grow. You see, the kings as well as the common people had to eat out of the field, and they would plant crops. And so they were saying that some of the things that were destroyed, he says the flax and the barley were smitten. Now, why was the flax and the barley uh, smitten? It was smitten simply because they had grown up. And when they had grown and this plague came through, it destroyed them. It says, he said, and the flax was not bolted. In other words, the flax uh, had not flowered and given forth fruit yet, but it had grown up. So when the, when, when, when the plague of hell and stuff came down, it kind of destroyed the flax and the barley, even though the barley was fully grown, but the flax was not fully grown, but it was grown enough to be destroyed. But then it says in verse 32, but the wheat and the rye was not smitten. Why wasn't it smitten? Because that's when they planted the seeds for the rye and the wheat in the summertime, I mean, in the springtime. So if after 100 days, they would now have the wheat. That's why it wasn't destroyed. The seed was in the ground, but it couldn't destroy it because it hadn't grown up yet. So what we want to point out from this text is that in order to get a summer crop of wheat, this would mean that the grain of wheat had to be had to have been planted in the spring in order to come up in the summer. So if you want summer wheat, you got to plant it in the spring. And the Bible says at the time he was coming through destroying, they they had not as they had planted the seed, but it hadn't come up yet. Okay, now let us turn into the Besora of John or the Gospel of John. We want to go, turn into the Gospel of John and see what's going on here. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12, and uh, chapter 12, and we want to look at verse number 24. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 24. Okay. Not chapter 24, but uh, verse 24. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, and notice what verse 24 says. Now, this is Yeshua talking. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, in other words, he's talking about a grain of wheat, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So what he is saying here, you remember what we said in John 4.35, he said the field is already white with harvest. In other words, you see the grain there. You see all of the wheat blowing in the, in the breeze. It's already white with harvest. But here in this verse, he's saying that in order for the get that harvest, the the corn of wheat or the wheat grain had to be sown. And if you know anything about a seed, a seed must first die. It has to die first. And then once it's dead, and then it began to get water, you know, when you look at the grain of wheat, it's hard. It's very hard, okay? And it must die. And once it dies, and then it starts getting water, then according to verse 24, it says, it says, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Okay. He said, but once it dies into the ground, but if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. Okay. Now, what is that saying? It is saying when you got a seed or a grain of corn or a grain of wheat, and you put it in the ground, it's going to die first. He said, but when it dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. And that's where, that's where the seed works. It dies, it gets to the water, and then it begins to grow. And when it grows, it grows a whole stalk of wheat, okay? And if you got thousands of wheat uh, grains spread, you're going to get thousands of uh, grains of wheat that was going to multiply themselves into millions of, uh, uh, of kernels of wheat in order to make bread. Because what Yeshua is trying to point out here is that when he, when, when he, who was the seed of Elohim, when he died and he went into the grave, he died first. And once he died, 
He came back on first fruits. He came out of the grave. And he said the Sabbath, uh, the seventh Sabbath after he was resurrected, he brought new life. And he, through his death, would bring many thousands of people to be saved. That is that fruit of what his death has brought into fruition. So when he looks at it, he's not only looking at it from the standpoint of literal wheat, but he's also looking at the souls of individuals who would be saved, and they were spoken of as wheat. So these texts point out that in order to have a crop for harvest at the appointed season, the seed must be put in the soil at a given time. And once in the soil, the seed dies and then comes uh, uh, then comes to life again. And how do the seed get into the ground for this growth to take place? This is where the soil does the sowing. This sowing is a type of labor in which we refer to as work. In order to get a crop, you have to sow the seed. And to sow the seed is a type of work. It is a person's work which, def which identifies one. What a person does is what one is. When Adam was created by his creator, he was assigned to do some work. He was instructed by his creator to dress and to keep the garden. That was his work. He was a gardener. That was his work. After he broke the covenant between he and his maker by partaking of that which was forbidden, he was still to cultivate the ground of soil. Okay, let's turn to Genesis. In other words, when he forfeited that covenant, he still had to work. Now let us notice here in Genesis 2 and verse 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Bible says, and Yehoah Elohim took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. That was the work that he was to do. However, he would do so by having to work. Okay. Now, after he sinned, let us not notice what's happened. Let us notice verse number 17. Uh, after he sinned, he says, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eateth thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so he's given them the covenant that if you eat of the what you're not supposed to eat, then you shall surely die. Okay, now we notice that he did sin. He did eat of the tree. So what happened after that? Okay, let's see, see what happened. Let us turn to Genesis chapter uh, 3, and we're looking at verses 17 through 19. And the Bible says, And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curse is the ground for thy sake, for in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So he's telling him something is going to happen to the ground. Now, I'm going to put you outside of Eden, and outside of Eden, uh, the ground has been cursed. In verse 18, let us know what the curse was. It says, Thorns... Also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So what he is saying, Adam, you broke the covenant, but you're going to still have to work. Just like you were to work before you sin, you're going to have to work after you sin, but it's going to be a little more difficult now because of the fact that the ground is going to bring forth thorns and thistles. That's what you're going to have to deal with now, Adam. Now, consequently, what we are observing in the case of the first Adam is what we we are experiencing also with the at, second Adam. Now, Yeshua, our Messiah. So you're going to have two Adams. You have the first Adam. His ground was cursed, and he had to still work it. And then we have the second Adam. He's also going to be dealing with the soil as well. So the, the distinctions that we make is that uh, with the first Adam came the tillage of the earthly soil, and with the second Adam came the tillage of the human soil. The first Adam talked with the, in other words, the first Adam 
soil, the physical components of the earthly soil, and the second Adam toil with the spiritual components of the human soil. Now, let us make some transitions between what Adam did and with the soil and what the second Adam, Yeshua, did with the human soil as it relates to the Feast of Shavioth. So we're taking the first Adam and the second Adam, and we're going to make some comparison. Now, from the time of the first fruits of the wave offering to the day of Pentecost was 99 days, because if you have seven uh, Shabbats and you multiply that by seven, you got 49. And then when you count 50 more days, it's going to give you 99 days. So from the time of the first fruits of the wave offering to the day of Pentecost was 99 days, which would be enough time to cultivate a wheat harvest. And if grains of wheat were sown in the spring, then by summer, the wheat would be ready. Such a scenario as this is not only true with earthly crops, but also with the spiritual crops. Let us keep in mind that prior to Yeshua's ascension to heaven, after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples, according to the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, prior to the 40 days spent with them, much spiritual labor had already been expended with them in spreading the gospel. From the time Yeshua entered upon his ministry at the age of 30 to his death on Golgotha was about three years, about three years. During the course of his time, he and his followers had sown quite thoroughly by preaching and teaching the word. Yeshua is the master sower of the seed, which is the word of Yahuwah. Now, let us turn to uh, Matthew. Let us turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we want to look at verse number uh, 37, Matthew. Okay. Talking about the sore, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 37. The Bible says here, and he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. And we know the son of man to be Yeshua, the Messiah. He says, so he sowed the good seed. So Yeshua is the master sower of the seed, which is the word of Yah. Now, according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, we are told that he is that sows the good seed is the son of man. He pre-existed before the cre creation of any plant. For when the grains were created, it was he who declared that the seed would be in them. Every seed in a plant is a testimony of Yahuwah's word to reproduce after what he told them to do. Whenever he told a plant to reproduce after its kind, it did that. When he told the fish to reproduce after its kind, his seed did that. When he told the animals to reproduce after their kind, they did that. And when he tells man to reproduce after his kind, they did that. The seed is called the word of Yah, not simply because Luke recorded what Yeshua said about it, but rather because he established at creation to be so. When he declared to the botanical world and the zoological world that they should reproduce after it can, then his word within them reproduced after his kind. So the Pentecostal experience of harvesting about 3,000 souls was the result of it. It was not the result of a random coming together at the last minute, nor was it in a haphazard planning section guessing what the outcomes would be. The Pentecostal gathering was as the result of correlating of heaven and earth, man cooperating with divinity. Yeshua's entire three years of his ministry was spent on preparing his disciples to become 
the apostles to help prepare the world to spread the gospel concerning his father's kingdom. When his disciples cooperated with the king of heaven by appropriately carrying out his will, then will his spirit accommodate our human efforts with divine anointing, and such an anointing will cross over the barriers of oppositions which would obstruct the gospel from being effective in the lives of his people. If we are to be the royalty of heaven, then we are his servants who are the prince and the princesses of this earth, given the power and authority to proclaim the Torah through the gospel invitation of our Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Just as thunder and lightnings help the germinating of the growth of a seed, even so does the Spirit of Yah bring about the necessary power to create new life in the believers. When the seed is sown, when the seed is sown, which is the word of Yah, the Holy Spirit attends the seed to make it effective in the lives of his hearers. There is a unique attachment between Yah's word and the Holy Spirit. His word and his spirit comes together. The Holy Spirit uses the word. It is used by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes his word comes as a wind used by the Holy Spirit to blow away the wicked, the wickedness in our hearts. Sometimes his word comes as the water used by the Holy Spirit to cleanse away the sinful waste in our life. Sometimes his word comes as fire used by the Holy Spirit to purify our souls. Sometimes his word comes as a dove used by the Holy Spirit to comfort our souls in grief. Sometimes his word comes as a sword used by the Holy Spirit to cut out sin in our souls. Sometimes his word comes as a mantle used by the Holy Spirit to protect us from danger. Uh, he uses his word. His word is used by the Ruach HaKodesh. Sometimes his word comes to us as a rushing mighty wind used by the Ruach HaKodesh to bring about a speedy conversion. Sometimes his word comes as the latter rain used by the Ruach HaKodesh to bathe us in his power. Sometimes his word comes to us as a fire used by the Ruach HaKodesh to ignite our zeal for him. Sometimes his word comes to us as a dove used by the Ruach HaKodesh to approve a life of righteousness. Sometimes his word comes to us as a sword used by the Ruach HaKodesh to rightly divide the words of truth. Sometimes his word comes to us as a mantle used by the Ruach HaKodesh to dress us with the power of heaven. So when we talk about the Ruach HaKodesh, it works with the word of Elohim. The word of Elohim is the seed of Yah sown into the heart of human flesh to bring forth fruit, meat for the kingdom of heaven in creation. In creation, when Elohim's spirit moved, he spoke. And when he spoke, his word was done. His spirit prepares the way for his word and his word prepares the way for his spirit. The word follows the spirit and the spirit follows the word in salvation. In salvation, when Elohim's spirit moves, he speaks. And when he speaks, his will is done. His spirit prepares the way for his word and his word prepares the way for his spirit. The word follows the spirit and the spirit follows the word. The Holy Spirit is always a prerequisite for the word to be effective in the lives of the believers. Yeshua, our Messiah, is the word made flesh. It was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua's word being made flesh in the womb of Mary, his mother. It was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua, the word being baptized in the Jordan, and the dove came down upon him. 
It was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua, the word being led into the wilderness to fast 40 days and 40 nights in preparation for his public ministry. It was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua, the word being anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. It was a word of the it was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua, the word being able to be anointed by Mary to be crucified, buried and resurrected from the tomb uh, on the third day. It was the Holy Spirit who was the prerequisite for Yeshua, the word being able to prepare his disciples and his assembly for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to convert about 3000 souls in a day. It will be the Ruach HaKadosh who will be the prerequisite for his assembly to receive the righteousness of the Messiah and experience the outpouring of the latter rain. Sabaoth is a feast when Yah's word is sown and the spirit germinates the word in the hearts of the believers and to be a part of his kingdom to come. Father in heaven, we ask, so heavenly Father, that as we properly interpret the feast of Shavioth, O heavenly Father, that we can see not only when it comes, but it's the preparation for the word to be sown into the hearts of your believers, that we can have a crop for the kingdom of Elohim, of whom Yeshua died for. In his name we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So you were saying that uh, Pentecost means uh, 50, 50 days? 50. Okay. Well, uh, Pentecost means 50, but when you say uh, the day of fully, uh, the day of Pentecost, you have 50 days. Okay. Uh, uh, you have 50 days, but Penta, which comes from uh, 50, uh -huh. is pointing out 50, but when you put it with the, the, the days, it's 50 days, yeah. Okay. And then one thing I I found about the the word uh uh sa safar or sapar safar sifar sifar s a p h a r uh no s a p a r for the word for count um oh yeah for count sifar yeah s a p h a r yeah sifar and it's interesting when you uh also look in the Strong's. It, it's not only to count but to recount and uh oh is that right i didn't i didn't know that okay yeah because mm. it said the uh first definition to count then recount so mm. i can see the both meanings of the word that you know maybe the first instance we this you count but also the second instance when it's mentioned again is to recount so mm, interesting okay yeah, so I found that really uh, interesting that, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, I think you probably, you're right, as we should be recounting after the first uh, seven Sabbath to recount mm -hmm. to get to that 50. Mm -hmm. right. And, uh, right. Yeah, interesting. Appreciate that insight. I have checked it out. Uh, we have a question for a listener, a very good one. Um because I want okay. to know the difference myself. Said, please explain again the difference between servile work and work. Servile work and work? Yes. Okay. Uh, let me see. Let's uh, let me see. Let's go down. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. And uh, we making, uh, I don't know if they had a text for that, but uh, I think the context may come from uh, the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. So let us turn to Exodus and uh, let us look at chapter, let me see, I think it's chapter 2, but we'll, we'll get in there and find it wherever it is. Okay, Exodus. We want to know what difference between work and survival work. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, let me see. Let me see. Uh, uh, let me see. Do, 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 do. Okay, yeah. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. 
<laughs> All right. Uh... <laughs> All right, let me see. Uh, uh, All right, let, let, let's turn to Exodus. I believe it's chapter three, but I think it can kind of, this can kind of get a, into the question. Okay, and uh, all right, here in the, uh, Exodus chapter three, and we, we want to look at uh, start with verse seven. Exodus three seven says this. It said, and uh, Yehoah said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Okay. All right. Now, what we are looking at here, uh, when he called Moses, Moses uh, met him and Elohim is explaining to Moses that he's, he have seen the affliction. Now, what was the affliction? Well, the affliction was that the taskmasters, you see in verse, he says, he said, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster. Now, the taskmasters were those who had taken the Israelites and they were overworking them. If you remember the story, is that they reached a point that, they, that the Egyptians no longer supplied them straw. But they had to go out and get the straw and to make the bricks. So that was a double burden. And I mean, it, it was it was hard on them. And and they were suffering under affliction now. So vile work is a type of work that is, uh, it, it could be good and it could be bad, okay? But mm -hmm. survival work was the type of work that uh, overtaxed the people. And even here in the United States, when we had slavery, and they were overworking the slaves and were not even paying the slave. That was what you considered uh, a survival work. Now let's go. Let's go a bit further. Usually, now I'm not saying in every case, but usually when you talk about survival work, you talk about slave labor. Okay. When our people were enslaved here in the United States, it was survival work. And one of the things uh, about survival work was that even the people who were doing that to us they had to look at the Constitution and they had to look and see that if they continued this survival work, that in the future it was going to be a problem with the United States. They, the founders of this country knew that, but they, but, but they, they were so in greed for the slave labor that they can get, get free that they didn't want to deal with the problem. Mm. And now today it's still a problem. So survival work is slave work, but now work itself was a type of labor that you do, and when you did it, it was not overtaxing. This is why when you read the, the fourth commandment, it said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor. Even Elohim gave us work. Mm -hmm. But he said, on the seventh day, are you, you are to rest. I'm not going to overwork you. But when Moses went to the Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so we can go and worship our Elohim. In other words, they wanted to go out of that place and go where they could worship him on the Sabbath days and on the feast days and to, to carry out what he wanted. Mm -hmm. But they had lost sight of a lot of the knowledge of Elohim while they were down in Egypt. So he, he had to pull them out. And when he pulled them out, he was going to teach them again about his law. But survival work is slave labor that is done to oppress the people. And he was trying to get them out of Egypt in order to be able to get them out from under that survival system that then they work, they will not be overworked and overtaxed. And then they could also keep his Shabbats and they can keep his holy festival days. So the difference that I see is one was a slave labor that was taxing the people, not paying them their guest wage and working them to the bone that they were not uh, able to have good health. Whereas work was simply given like he was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. And when he said for us to work six days, then it was a type of work that it was wholesome is revigorating. Yes, you got tired, but on the Sabbath, you could rest from your labors and to be able to get rest. So the difference is one was legitimate and the other was illegitimate. So 
it was basically saying then, so when he said no serve our work, was that targeted to the slave owners? Well, I was talking to, when we used, uh, well, the slave owners is one of that was taxing them. Yeah. But he was, he was telling Moses, I'm going to pull you out of this system so uh, you won't be, uh, as it were, uh, what, what the Bible calls, uh, he calls it affliction. And he, was, he, he said, I've heard your sorrows. And he said, I've come down to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians. In other words, he wanted, in verse 8, it was saying he, was, he wanted to deliver his people from that type of uh, servile work. Now, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, quite naturally, the taskmasters uh, would be missing them because now they would have to have their own people to do it because they wouldn't have the Israelites to, to overtax anymore. But um, but it was it was mm-hmm. for his people. Not yeah, it might have been for the taskmasters, but it was for his people. The taskmasters they enjoy doing that. Cause like when it uh, speaks in like uh, Leviticus twenty three seven, and it says, "In the first day ye shall have a holy assembly; ye shall do no servile work therein." So is that saying because if you're a slave? the master dictates to you when you're going to have to work and when you won't work. So that's why I was wondering mm-hmm. when it says no servile work and if slave labor was Yah basically telling the slave owners like, no, they don't need to work on these days. No servile work on these days. Or was well, that mean like to said, everybody in general? Well, like I said, I said, in all cases, when you use survival work, it, it doesn't mean that it's slave labor. Not in all cases. Uh-huh. You have to look at the context. Not in all cases, it's not. Okay. Uh, uh, you can go ahead. No, I'll, I'll wait till you finish. Oh, I was saying sometimes uh, uh, it could be uh, survival work in the sense of overtaxing, and then sometimes uh, it's you know legitimate le- legitimate work. But I'm saying in the context mm-hmm. of this. So vile work with slave labor. In other words, anytime uh, you labor, it's going to be one or the other. It's going to either be harsh punishment or it's going to be humane. If it's humane, it's okay. If it's vile labor, you know. But if it's overtaxing, it's 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 a survival work that is not accepted with him. It's, it's just like uh, you take the word like a lot of people when they use the word covet. Uh-huh. You know, now usually when you use the word covet, it's in a it, it's in a sinful way. Like people say, you know, you should not covet your neighbor's wife or or whatever your neighbor has a car or a house. You couldn't shouldn't covet. Okay, that's your you shouldn't. But then Apostle Paul comes says that when it comes to some of the gifts of Elohim, he says you should covet the best gifts. You know, uh-huh. like prophesying and and teaching and stuff. That he said you should covet. Now the word covet is if you put it in uh, negative sense, it means you don't you coveting something wrong. But then when you take covet and put it in a rightful sense, you're covering something that is right and good. Mm-hmm. So it's the same way, way with the word survival. Survival can be done detrimental, or it can be done in a in a humane way. But it's still survival. Okay, we have uh, another comment or question. It reads: uh, Scripture reference. Is Leviticus twenty three twenty one on Pentecost? The Bible says to do no servile work, but on Shabbat it says do no work. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's just saying don't do any slave labor. Now let me understand. Okay. Let me let me put this about slave labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, slave come from the word servant. Yeah. He said don't do no servant labor. Okay, no mm-hmm. servant labor. So that means that whether your taskmaster is like down in Egypt, lording it over you, or if he's a good taskmaster that is treating you humane, he's still saying, don't do any survival work. Okay. In other words, I want, I want you to come away from work just like you do on the Shabbat. I want you to rest. And then when you come to these holy convocations, I also want you to do the same thing. I don't want you to do any work, whether it's overtaxing or undertaxing. I don't, I don't want you to do any work. Yeah, it is survival work, but I don't want you to even do that because you're doing a servant's work. Mm-hmm. Now, usually when we talk about a servant, uh, 
in the days of old, that uh, a servant was also considered a, a slave. Is just is just the terminology that we are using, a slave or a servant. Even Apostle Paul says. Uh, we are slaves to Yeshua, just like people are slaves to the devil. Mm-hmm. Or we are servants to the devil, just like we are servants, you know, to Yeshua. So when we deal with the survival, yes, it, it, it it's still a labor. But he said, I don't even want you to do the good survival labor on, on the Sabbath. The only person that could do labor on the, Sab- on, the, on, on the Sabbath or the feast days and get away with it was the priests. They had to do the sacrificing and all of this other stuff. They could do it. But they were doing it in the line for the kingdom of Elohim. There's a difference, you know. But no, not even that could be done on a Shabbat, you know, for us uh, keeping the holy festivals. Okay. All right. Uh, I think, well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we close out this early part session? Okay, uh, now in this discourse that I had given uh, mm-hmm. on the, I, I get one part, so uh, this afternoon uh, at 7 o'clock, I'll de- be giving two discourses, but they all merge in together. The, the first is not that long. Matter of fact, the second is not that long either. So okay. I, I, I thought I would get to two parts today, but we only got the Pentecostal preparation, but uh when we come again, uh, we'll be dealing with the Pentecostal promise, and then we'll close with the Pentecostal parable. Okay. Let yes. us pray. Eternal, Eternal Father, as we look to you at this time, we thank you that we can celebrate the uh, shabby oath in the way that we understand it from the Scriptures. And we realize, Lord, that a lot of people are celebrating it, but we're not saying they're wrong or we're not saying they're right, but we are saying the ter- interpretation that we have looked at it from, it appears more in harmony with your wishes than the others. So as we continue to go on, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may not only ignite us, but ignite others to be able to see the truth as we both can see eye to eye. And in the future, we may all can get on the same page. And we're looking for the greater Pentecostal, Heavenly Father, when the Holy Spirit will fall into the assembly of your people, and it will be so great with so power that it's going to exceed the amount of souls that has come into the kingdom of Elohim that it did in the book of Acts when they had 3,000. We're looking, we're longing for the day when we can have more souls, O Heavenly Father, to come into your ranks to populate the kingdom of heaven. And then we can be able to realize, O Heavenly Father, that the truth that you have given us has been able to go into the hearts of individuals. And when the Holy Spirit, ignite that seed. They will come forth for your kingdom. And then we will know that your death was not in vain. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Until we meet at seven this evening. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you to come back this evening at seven as we get ready to close out the Feast of Shabbat. And again, Pastor, what will you be covering um, this evening at seven? Uh, we'll be covering the Pentecostal promise and the Pentecostal parable. The Pentecostal Those two promise, we'll be dealing the Pentecostal with. Parable. The Pentecostal promise and the Pentecostal parable. Okay. And if you have any questions or comments and you want us to get to them this evening, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, that's scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Send the ticker just below. So uh, get your questions in or your comments in and we'll get them on the air this evening. And we look forward to seeing you this evening tonight at 7 p.m. Shalom.